0: In my private school, I went to a private Christian school in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, Milwaukee area. We used to have to memorize weekly scriptures. Nothing like Bible quizzing. We had to memorize weekly scriptures. And at that age, it still felt difficult to me. Now, you would have to write out the words of each of the passages that were included, and you'd take a test, and you'd write them all out, and it had to be word perfect. Um, but one passage that we always hoped for, wished for, joked about and we wanted it to be our memory verse for the week was, So you guys experienced that same thing <laughs> was John 11:35. I mean, I might not be the sharpest crayon in the box, but I could remember I could remember this. I could memorize, this, I think, see, you're all ready for Bible quizzing, all right? Look at this scripture right here. Say it out loud. Okay, now take the scripture down. Now quote it. You guys are ready for quizzing. See, I I mean, no matter what, I could get that question right, and they would say, question number one, question, according to John chapter 11, verse 35, who wept Or question number 1 according to John 11:35 what did Jesus do when? See you guys are ready for Bible quizzing if they were all only that easy Nice and succinct but why why did Jesus weep the Savior of the world, God manifest in flesh, the only one who knows the beginning from the ending, is recorded in Scripture weeping. Why? Well, this evening we're just going to look a little bit on this topic. It's okay to cry. How many of you would consider, my wife's not in here, she would raise her hand, and this is not a joke on her, she will be the first to admit She admits it every time she preaches in the pulpit. How many of you would say, I am a crier? Raise your hand. All right. Keep your hand up. I just want to see this. All right. All right. Got about at least, I'd say 40%. percent yeah, are a crier. All right. How many of you cry under certain circumstances? Anybody say, anybody raise their hand and go, I can't remember the last time I cried. Oh, God. Nobody really. All right. Well, John 11 paints a picture of Jesus' relationship with his close friend named Lazarus and the two sisters of Lazarus named Mary and Martha. Now, Lazarus had become deathly ill, and his sisters immediately sent word to Jesus. But Scripture tells us something that's a, a bit puzzling. In verse 6 of John 11, it says, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. That's interesting. This is a great friend. He's sick, and Jesus just stays where he's at for two more days. And so he didn't seem in a hurry to help, and he waited those two days before heading toward Bethany to help. What makes the whole story interesting was that Jesus knew all along that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead after he passed. When he arrives at the tomb, he sees Martha weeping alongside of a group of other mourners, and some of them really cared for Lazarus, but others were just hired because in that day, they would hire professional mourners. Could you imagine getting that job? Like, I am going to pay you to weep, to wail, to cry, and to shout in agony. Imagine that, huh? What is the, uh, what is the career builder, or indeed, what does that look like? Must be able to cry. Must be able to weep and really sell it. Must not be ashamed to raise your voice in agony. Some of you that are criers that raise your hand, you might have got a job, you know? You could try and stuff. I don't know if this exists. All the crazy jobs that are out there right now, you could maybe start a company here. I, I, don't, I don't know. And so people were paid to wail and weep, even if, even if they didn't know the deceased. And so Jesus walks up into this atmosphere, and the mourners, and, and the scripture tells us in John 11:33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, that's an intriguing response, seeing that he knew all along what was, what happened, what was going to happen, what is happening, what, he knew everything. So, you read that and go, huh, he knew he would be raising Lazarus from the dead, but here scripture says he groaned, he was troubled in his spirit, he groaned in his spirit, troubled, and so the verb used here describes a deep display of emotion. Now, we've all been to funerals probably of people we love and cared about, and so we understand the deep display of emotion, and the strong emotion is, is, is expected given the amount of sorrow that's in this location at this time. But here's something that's interesting. The Greek word used here is one to convey a sense of anger rather than grief. That's why the New Living Translation puts it this way. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. You know, sometimes people will knock. The New Living Translation use the KJV. But really, a lot of times what you'll find is as language has has kind of transformed and grown, and that you study the original manuscripts, some of the things that they, well, they don't, we don't have the originals, but some of those early copies, and they found that some of the verbiage used there actually kind of pointed to something else. So rather than just weeping for sadness, what this word, that, what it points to is that he was, actually, he was actually angry, and so that's why it's put in the New Living Translation. Verse 38, it says, Jesus was still angry, as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. So it's a little bit of a different story because sometimes we hear this story and we go, oh yeah, he loved his friend Lazarus. Oh, he felt bad for Martha. And we'll talk about that. And so he shows up and he's, Jesus wept. My memory verse, Jesus wept. Well, but Why did he weep? Because in two separate places, we see he's standing at this tomb with anger inside of him. There appears to be at least two reasons, two things that moved Jesus that day. Number one, genuine sorrow at the tears of Mary and Martha. Because when you have compassion, sometimes you don't, maybe you don't even know, I don't know if anybody's ever had this happen But you don't even know what's going on in someone's life. But somebody you love or care about, they just start to well up with tears or maybe they start to cry. And you yourself feel choked up just watching someone cry, even though, like, I don't even know why they're crying. But I feel bad for this person because I love and care about this person. So when they started crying, I started crying. For those of you that are not criers, you have no clue what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I believe empathy moved him deeply when he saw... Those whom he loved experiencing grief. Number two, however, the larger context that John suggests here in the gospel is that Jesus was not sharing. He wasn't just sharing in his friend's grief. He appears to be expressing anger at the aftermath of sin. You see, because when he created the world, this death, funeral, grave, burial was never supposed to happen not his intention. That was never his plan. We were created to live forever with him in eternity. But when sin entered, death entered. And so now this is the wage of sin. This is the result of sin. And so this is an incredible moment in scripture where the creator of humanity stands at the tomb of a friend and experiences in a profound way the horrible result of the wages of sin. The encounter moves him to tears. And this was not just sorrow, it was anger. Anger because death marred the beauty of his creation. This was never supposed to be this way. Death was never the plan until humanity chose sin. This complexity of emotions, a combination of death and anger, culminated with two simple words in John eleven thirty-five: Jesus wept. And we, we joke about this, we laugh about this, but it's it's really a powerful moment in Scripture that he is standing here with this intense emotion at the tomb, gathered with people he loves, at the tomb of one he loves, and he weeps. And today I find comfort in these words. There, were times, there are times even in counseling in my office when an individual or a couple will weep in my office, sometimes because of the agony of loss or death. Other times, because the anger of a situation that might be beyond their control. Sometimes I stand in front of you like I did this past Sunday. My wife said to me, I'm not a, I'm not a super emotional person, but my wife said, you always get emotional when you talk about children. And I said, I'm weird. Why is that? <laughs> she said, that's not weird. She thinks that's from Jesus because Jesus, but kids had a special place. in Jesus. So I was like, I, 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 I think she's saying I'm Christ. Like, I'll take it, and I'll run with that. If she didn't mean that, I'm going to spin it, and it makes me feel good. But, uh, yeah, any I, anytime I talk about children, because children, to me, are just beautiful. And so I didn't know that child well, that five-month-old that passed, but I, I felt a sliver of agony of what parents are probably dealing with as a parent of three children. I can't imagine, but your mind goes there and what that would possibly feel like. Because, you know, sympathy is feeling bad for someone. I feel bad for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I feel bad that you went through that. But empathy is where you put yourself in someone's shoes and their position. So sympathy just listens to their story and says, "I'm I'm sorry." That's but empathy is, "What would I do? What if I experienced that?" And 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 I I feel like empathy feels much deeper than sympathy. And so. Um sometimes we, we we don't think about that when somebody, even Billy Joe, what he's going through, which he just had another surgery today, he wanted me to tell the church that he loves them, he appreciates the prayers, but now they've had to amputate his leg up to five inches below his kneecap. So it's not just his foot. And um and so he he he's going through a lot, you know, and and so we don't think because you know if you're if you're here and, and you're blessed to still have your all of your limbs intact, we go, oh man, I can't imagine I'm i I'm feel sorry for you. But if we start to go, what would my life look like moving forward from that day? Empathy lets you feel just a little more deeply than sympathy does. And so the majority of us feel these expressions of emotions at times. We we feel anger. We feel sorrow. Weeping is often the natural expression of these emotions. Some people will weep when they're sad. Some people will weep when they get very frustrated or angry. Weeping is often the natural expression. So even though it might not sound manly or macho for me to say, it's okay to cry. We rarely think of the importance of tears. But you know, tears have a purpose. Now, pain is often the gift, I'll say gift, that ushers them in. But guess what? If we were tearless, we would neither see nor blink. Tears actually lubricate our eyelids. When we cry, our tears have a different chemical makeup. If we are hurting physically or emotionally, a protein is present in tears. Tears bathe our eyes in one of the most effective antibacterial and antiviral agents known. The Bible is full of tears. Some of the greatest heroes in Scripture have shed tears. Joseph, Hannah, David, Hezekiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Peter, Mary, Paul, John, and even Jesus wept. Just as their tears marked, sadness, repentance, love, cleansing, power, blessing, joy, hope, despair, anger, fear, desire, goodness, and pain. But yet Psalm 126.5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those tears brought about repentance, intercession, holiness, change, revival. And there's a great but often unsettling scriptural law, spiritual law in scripture. In Acts 14, 21, it says, After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding those believers that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Just like the psalmist said, we now see it in action. The psalmist talked about it, but then you go years later, and it's actually happening in the church. In order to reap in joy, we must sow in tears. I know that Theoretically, we think, no matter, no matter how many times I talk about this, anybody talks about this, you read about it, you hear it preached, it's on YouTube, whatever, wherever you hear the message, no matter how many times, there's something in the back of our head that's still going, yeah, but maybe I'll get out without having too bad of a time. Maybe, maybe that's for somebody else who just needs to be humbled. Maybe that's for someone else that really has a, a greater calling than myself. Maybe my life can still just go fine and great and not have any issues or problems, But you see, God loves you too much to not develop some things in you. And so he's going to do things that are challenging, that are difficult. I always refer back to... To, to working out, to weightlifting, you only build strength through resistance. Really, that's the, the, you can use weight resistance, you can use natural movement resistance, but you're not going to get strong without facing any type of resistance. And so you go to your Christian walk, and you can say, I love God, it's just amazing, but there's something that is formed in the, in the, in the depths of despair, when we cry out to God, that cannot be formed when everything is just perfect and you're blessed and you have every prayer answered and every dream come true. And so tears are a normal part of life. I would even argue a, a healthy part of life. But often our tears only focus on this life and this world. I want to also shed eternal tears I want to feel the pull of the calling of God that moves me to tears at times. I will never forget when my dad, tells, he told the story of when he was a new convert and he was leaving a life of sin. Drugs, alcohol, music, entertainment, I mean, all this stuff that he was involved in. And he said that he went with somebody from their church, the church, our church growing up. And they went to a Carmen concert, Carmen, God rest his soul. And so my dad didn't really understand the full difference yet and was just expecting to see a bunch of spirit-filled people pursuing God at the Carmen concert. Well, you know, then it started, party's over, shut it down, I'm hunting for some of y'all, he's a lion, thieving, rattlesnake, and he's broken every law. You know, so they starting. Start, if you don't know Carmen, now you're going to have to go look that up on YouTube. Titus is one of, Titus's favorite songs, Satan Bite the Dust. But he said he sat at, a, at a, a fountain outside of the entrance to the concert. And he said that he just, he said he looked at thousands of people who had an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. And he said that Carmen never said anything. He didn't tell him, And so he sat on this pool, on this, uh, this fountain, ledge, And he watched people walk out of the concert, and he said he just sat there weeping, thinking about all the people who could possibly be headed to hell that know nothing about Christ and how there was a moment that there was an opportunity that was missed. And that's what drove my dad, you know. Him and my mom, they taught Bible studies for the time he came into church to the day he died. More than 450 people baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, teaching Bible, because it drove him to reach people, to, to take this to people, because that moved him to tears. And I pray that, that some of that mantle, I pray, would fall on me, that when I would look at people, I would be moved to tears at times, that I would never just build my building, sit in my church, watch the beautiful services, listen to the great music, feel the beautiful presence of God, and forget that there are people out there who desperately need Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at crowds of people, and I want to feel the burden to reach them, the call to do something about it. I don't want to just live comfortable. And I know that sounds crazy and cliche because a burden is just that. It's a burden. Like when you pastoring there's people who have come or people who have left people I'm trying to reach now that there's a burden in my heart and it's not something that is enjoyable all the time. It's not easy. But I also pray that God never releases me from all burdens because otherwise th- that, that's what that's what drives us to do the work of the Lord the the, the, the burden of his calling and so when my life is not right I want, I want to shed tears that will lead me to godly repentance. You know, I know sometimes people make jokes about other churches in America that are just feel-good churches, blessing churches, make-you-feel-great churches, which is fine. I pray that you don't come here every Sunday and Wednesday and feel like you just got beat over the head with a hammer. That's not my, that's not my goal. I know Sunday's message was a little heavy, so I, I, I hope that you're not every time being like, man, I got beat up again. It was great. I hope that there's times that you walk out of here and go, wow, I feel encouraged, God. But even in, like I said on Sunday, God whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, that I pray that we never get to the point where we no longer can approach an altar and weep. Because godly sorrow leadeth to repentance and leadeth to change. And so, so there's times that when things aren't right in my life, or even when they are right and God's calling me to a deeper place. That there would be something that he speaks to me through scripture, through a preacher, through a song, through uh, uh, the gifts of the spirit. Whatever that is that that causes me to go, God, I need you. I want to go deeper. That I feel tears in my eyes. I feel the, the pull in the spirit to go to new levels and to go to new depths. And so... Peter, he denied Jesus three times. And look what the Bible says, Luke 22, 61. It says, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. This is right before his crucifixion. And he had said to him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter swore up and down. He would never do that. But here he is. He did it. Jesus locks. I mean, what's worse than actually doing it? But right after you're doing it, locking eyes with your Savior, who you let down, who told you you were going to do it and you promised you wouldn't. Imagine that agony that Peter felt. And the scripture says he wept bitterly. Yeah, but there's no condemnation. You're right. There is no condemnation. Paul says there should not be, but we should never lose conviction. Conviction says, "I God is calling me to change." Condemnation just looks at self. I'm never good enough. I'm never going to be. Conviction says, "I know I'm not good enough, but I feel God is calling me to change. I feel like God is calling me to." We don't ever want to lose conviction. And so the next time Jesus finds Peter, his heart is right. and He had already repented. He was ready for what was next. Why? Tears of confession can bring true change through repentance. And so if we have not repented in a while, if we have not found that place of, of sorrow in God sometimes where we go, God, I come before you and I need to change. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me not to stay the same. I don't ever want to lose that. So I'll say it again, it's okay to cry. It's biblical, it's healthy, and sometimes it's needed. And as we read about the tears of Jesus and the others during this time of death for Lazarus, we read about how people are deeply, they're, they're deeply feeling this emotion. In their minds, they lost someone they love. And we should feel the impact of that loss. We should process grief and try not to ignore it. I'll say this, the emotionally, healthy person does not ignore their emotions. Now, I think we've gotten better with this. There has to be this happy medium of like, we don't just cry over everything. At some point, you got you to gotta have some thick skin and be able to tell life is difficult. Don't just sit in the corner and cry over everything. But yet, you know, previous generations probably Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and I don't want to hear it. Ain't no crying. Why are you crying? Quit your crying. Well, that kind of creates an atmosphere that's probably not emotionally healthy. And so uh, there are times where one of my children might cry and I try to go, well, what's going on? Why are you crying? Tell me. Talk to me. Tell me what you're going through. What, what are you feeling? There's times I want to say, knock it off. Quit crying. Don't be a baby. But, you know, you can't do that because that's not, that's not healthy. And so you try to find, like, okay... What is the source of this? Because I, I want you to process these emotions. Why? Because if, if you just ignore those emotions, you're not, that's not a healthy person. I just don't want to cry in front of people. Why? Why? Or just because. Well, that's not a good answer. I just don't like to cry at church in the presence of God. Why? I was just really upset and I was trying not to cry. Why? The emotionally healthy person also does not just act out on all the emotions and the behavior. You know, because we think sometimes like, kind of like when you, when you deal with things or forgive somebody, you know, you, oh, you, the Bible says to go to them. But at some point, if you're going to somebody 11 times a week, you might have to go, well. <laughs> I understand the scripture, but maybe the issue is with me and I got to kind of look at, I got I to choose not to believe the worst about everybody. And so it's kind of, you know, you think about this, okay, if you go through something, yeah, there's going to be times that, you, you know, I'm not going to just use this as an excuse for my behavior, but I'm also not going to just ignore the emotions, what I'm feeling. The emotionally healthy person recognizes that there is an internal imbalance, that there's something that I'm feeling right now that is causing me to feel a, 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 little, a little tipsy in the, in the emotional response, not, the, not, not, not alcohol, but, you know, just like in the emotional response. And so, and that person proceeds to process these emotions by doing what's necessary. Sometimes that might be seeing a counselor, seeing a pastor, talking to a friend with a listening ear, weeping and letting the tears flow, and of course, taking it to Jesus. The first thing that Mary and Martha do when they hit this moment before he even dies is they call on Jesus. That's a life lesson right there. When you hit a moment where you go, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm frustrated. The first thing that we do is call on Jesus. And sometimes we'll call on Jesus and He will not respond right away. And when you read Mary, I mean, they're like, if you would have just, I don't, I don't think, I'm not there. We don't get the context, we just get the words. But I cannot imagine Mary and Martha being like, hey, thanks for coming. You know, we should have been here. We'd have had a good time. I imagine that, like weeping, you think you you, you hear about that story where everybody's weeping and they got professional wailers and weepers and mourners. I'm imagining they're like, Where were you? If you would have just been here. And they probably were frustrated. Probably a little agitated. Like some of you sometimes get with God when you say I've, I've been praying about this. Why would you not just do this? But we know he hears us. And he has a plan, and we have to trust his timing. And we, we, we understand loss. Any, anybody here ever lose someone that you have loved or been close to, and you stood at a casket and wept because someone you care about is no longer living? Anybody? I think most of us have gone through that. You see, when death comes, something is broken in the substance of this life that will never be fixed on this side of glory. I mean, there's certainly circumstances. Brother Stone King, I just said, he was raised again from, from the dead. Literally died there, was dead a while, and came back to life. God can do it. Typically, people don't rise again once they're gone, and so when you experience loss, it's okay to both mourn the loss and to even feel angry about the desecration of something as precious as life itself. It's okay to cry. Jesus cried too. And so we must understand something. There was a significant difference between the tears of Jesus and the tears of the mourners. John records this. John eleven thirty five says, Jesus wept. He goes on and says, then said the Jews, they, they're watching Jesus weep. Oh, how he loved him man, that's special. And some of them said, could not this man that opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? They compared his tears to their tears and remarked how much he loved Lazarus. Now they were right about his love. But they were wrong about his tears. His sorrow was tempered in hope. Now just Not not, not just the hope of the immediate resurrection, but hope of eternity. Jesus knew the cross was on the horizon. He knew that the victory he was about to claim at the cross would reverse the curse of sin. That's why he's called the second Adam. That first Adam messed things up. But the second Adam comes and turns things around. He did not just raise Lazarus that day because he really missed his friend and wanted him back. I think sometimes that's what we think about, and that's where if we could walk in this natural realm, but with spiritual, supernatural eyes, when I pray over someone and I pray that God would do a miracle in their life, nine times of ten, unless I just forget on accident, almost every time we'll pray over that person and say god let this miracle be done not just for their comfort but that so that other people can see the supernatural manifestation of your power and that you will receive glory out of this. Okay. I pray for Titus all the time to be healed. Not just because we despise the needles and the sights and the, and the, and the blow blood sugars and the, and the passing out and the danger and all that. That's all part of that. But my prayer is God, that you would heal him so that everywhere he goes for the rest of his life in ministry, that he can preach and teach and, and testify about how powerful you are. And so he didn't just raise Lazarus just because I really miss my friend. You know, Martha, you miss your brother. Let's just go ahead and raise him up. He didn't do it just to address the sorrow. Jesus had a clear plan that day. He tells the disciples, 1115, and for your sakes, before he heads way, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you're really going to believe. Come on, let's go see him. Like, he almost seems kind of pumped about this. And then he says to Martha, Lazarus' sister in 25, he says, I tell he said, he told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. He was trying, everything he did in his earthly ministry was trying to prepare them. You watch them, he says, don't, don't, don't worry about this. He starts saying, I'm going to be not a long time with you. He was all trying to get his people ready for life after he, he leaves, but not just on this earth. He was constantly trying to get humanity temporary human beings to have an eternal perspective. And I feel like here we are thousands of years later, and he's still trying to do the exact same thing. He's trying to get us in our temporary existence to see beyond the here and now and to see that there's an eternal picture. There's an eternal scope. Listen, even if he dies, this is not the end. He says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Martha. He was trying to get them to understand. Everything he did was to get the world to understand his message and to try to get his disciples ready for the next calling. Even now, this was not a random story about death of someone he loved. It's a story tempered in hope. Christ was angry at death and how sin caused something contrary to his plan, but there was hope there. He performed a miracle that day, not only because he loved Lazarus and his sisters, but because he wanted them to understand who he really was. I am the resurrection and the life. He wanted to prepare his followers for what was next. And so they were to step into their calling knowing why, hey, he wanted them to see, I'm going to be going away, you guys, but just, you got to remember this, you're going to see me in a grave one day. But this is not the end. you got to keep that eternal mindset. And so Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid. He tries to tell them this. He says, of those who want to kill your body, they can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Again, don't just have an eternal or a, a physical temporary perspective. Remember eternity. Remember that this is not the end. This is not what we're focused on. But yet, here we are, 2022. This is what we focus on. Jesus knew the hopeless tyranny of death would soon end at the cross. And today, I share that same conviction. Why? Well, if the Lord tarries, I'm going to eventually have a funeral and be put in a grave, and, and hopefully somebody will say something nice about me in a pulpit, and hopefully I lived a life that they don't have to lie when they do it. But guess what? I still am going to live forever. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or or passed on, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. This is read all the time at at funerals. But people read it sometimes just because it's a good passage of Scripture. We don't think about it, but no, think about what Paul was saying here. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also are asleep in Jesus, God will bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or who have passed on. For the Lord himself, he's not sending anybody in his stead this time, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says, hey, go out and comfort one another with these words. And that should comfort us because you know what? we get so distraught about what's going on right here right now the next 2 years the next 10 years and what matters is not that yes right now it's that god make me who you want me to be help me to be a minister of you help me to reach the world you've called me to reach help me lord jesus to have that compassion that empathy but lord help me not to get consumed with the here and now help me to remember that no matter what happens no matter if i pass on and stop breathing in this mortal body i know that once I pass my next waking moment is in the presence of God Almighty for eternity. I was happy tonight when Luke chose the song, "Mercy and Goodness." Gives me assurance that I, when I see your glory and face to face, I was sitting there thinking about that going, man, that line just jumps out to me, especially knowing what I was getting ready to speak. And I'm like, God, I, I love the life I live here. I love being able to serve Refuge Church, the Missouri District. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my family. I love everything. I love Liberty, Missouri. I'm even getting to love the Chiefs. I mean, come on. But you know what? I can't wait. Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his amazing grace. On the streets of glory. Let me leave my voice. Cares all past. Home at last. Ever to rejoice. So as I close tonight, what are you going through right now? That feels overwhelming right here. What are you going through? What are you going through? Is it, is it financial? Is it physical? Is it relational? What is it? What, what's, what's, what's causing the burden? See, I believe that we walk in these shoes as humans, and, and part of this is normal. It's an ongoing battle. It never changes. He, he talked to them. Obviously, they were going through things, too. He, it doesn't really change. Humanity just kind of stays the same. We just go through different battles, but it's the, same. it's the same in the end. And so, what is it? What is it right now that you're, that, that you're going through? What is it right now that, that you're walking through going, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying so hard and there's a burden in your shoulder. And I believe part of the trick of the enemy and fallen nature of humankind is God's desire is for his people to have a burden for humanity, a burden for souls, a burden to make disciples. But instead, we're carrying around burdens every day, but it's not the burden God's called us to carry. Every one of us, you're going we're all carrying a burden at some point. But the burden we're carrying is am I going to get the promotion? Are my kids going to do well in school? Can I afford school? Um, what's the paycheck? What's the health insurance? Cost of materials are going up. Man, a gallon of milk is $6. My goodness. I, I, I'm going to need a new car. Our heads are going through this. Oh, what did the doctor say? Oh, there might be a spot there. Oh, I don't know. I thought it'd be further than this. What about ministry? What about, like, like, our, our burdens for honest or on temporary things things that are going to burn things that are going to pass away and yet god calls us to have burdens for things that are eternal you can leave a great great financial inheritance to your kids and you know what if you do it well you might man you could, you, could probably, you could probably really take care of a couple of generations of your family. But eventually, if they don't continue, he's going to run out somewhere. I don't care if he got $7 million. Like, it's going to run out somewhere. But if you make a disciple, if you... Teach the next generation to pray and to fast and go reach a lost and dying world. Yeah, I do think it's emotional, but I think how neat it would be to walk on that, into that pearly gates. Yeah, and have somebody go, I'm so thankful you taught me a Bible study. I'm so thankful you taught me Sunday school. I'm so thankful that you prayed with me that day at the altar. I'm so thankful that you came up to me at Walmart, and it was awkward at first, but I sensed your love and compassion, and it made a difference in my life, because we're carrying burdens, but I don't think they're eternal burdens. I think if we're honest, they're temporary burdens. So what are you going through right now that feels overwhelming? What or whom have you lost that's left a gaping hole? maybe it's time to just come to an altar and just cry in the presence of the Lord. When you experience any type of loss, any type of loss, it's not just death or dying of a loved one, any type of loss, you have to process it. I referenced Titus again. We lost what we thought would be normal in one day when we found out he had diabetes. I never thought that I was the person that would be in a support group. Like, my wife and I are pretty strong people. Like, and here we are on Facebook groups and bouncing ideas off and getting things from other people. Because to me, there was a loss of something there. And it just changed like that. Like you said, Billy Joe is gonna be dealing with the, this, this loss of a limb. The family and... and uh, or the Sharon's Church there, they're going to be going through the loss of a, of a five-month-old son. Any time you go through any type of a loss, process it. Don't just ignore it. Go ahead, cry, weep. Jesus did. But then when you're done weeping and crying, even if you have to do it multiple times, just remember, there's always hope. There's always hope. No matter what you're going through, there's always hope. Why? Because we say there's always hope thinking like, well, maybe something will change in the next couple of weeks. Well, I lost my job, but there's always a hope. Maybe I'll get a next one. I applied for three more, so there's hope that I'll get a new job. No, no, it's too temporary. Yeah, I understand you're working hard. You're going to get a God bless him with a great job, whatever it is. But the hope is not on this earth. My hope is not on the next election. I certainly hope some things, but that's not where I'm putting my ultimate hope. My hope is not even on the next building of the construction of the church. My hope is eternal. And so all the things that burden us right now, if they're temporary, maybe it's time to just go, God, why do I keep carrying this around? instead give me a burden for things that are going to be eternal no loss we experience on this earth can exceed the joy and the blessing that's coming on the horizon God is getting ready to come back for his church and he made that possible by going to the cross and rising from the grave and he because he personally defeated the grave there's no grave literal or any situation that can hold us down. But as you stand to your feet tonight, if you're not a crier, we're not going to start hitting you on the fingers with hammers trying to make you cry. But if you are a person that goes, I can never let anybody see my emotions. Why? Why? I just have to hold it all in. I have to act like, I have to be, I hear this all the time at funerals. I have to be strong for so and so. Why? Right? I mean, if you come to my funeral, don't be strong for anybody. You you want to weep, weep. My Lord, I hope out of 160 people, at least one of you cry. It's okay to cry. A lot of people in scripture did it. But don't cry as someone who has no hope. Process the healthy emotion. But then remember, this is not, no no matter what, it could be the worst thing, no matter what, I'm still victorious. Because there's nothing that can happen in this physical body or in this physical realm that makes me less of a winner or less victorious because no matter what I am going to be in the presence of the Lord if I go on first I'm going to beat you anyway because I'm going to get called up first if I don't then my dad and everybody will go up first and I'll be right behind them and no matter what we live on in eternity and forever and ever and ever and nothing on this earth supersedes that I invite you to just find a place to pray right now to just keep that eternal perspective in mind. And it's, all right, it's okay to cry. You know, it might be time to flush those eyes. It might be time to just get in the presence of God, block everything else out, and just whatever that thing is that you've been carrying that's been just agonizing for you. You've been worried about it. You've been frustrated. You've been wondering what's going to happen. You know, it might be time to just weep before the Lord and just be like, God, I'm sick and tired of dealing with this and worrying about this and being frustrated about this. God, i want to give this to you right now i just want to weep in your presence i just i just i don't want to carry that burden the burden i want is one that's going to be eternal i want to carry a burden that's going to make a difference in someone's life god i pray talk to us help us as a church jesus help us and in myself, to be heard, but to hear what you would say, a word of God speak, would you